So what are we talking about today? I was going to actually take uh, <laughs> notes. I feel I feel incredibly stimulated today. Um, oh wow! Yeah, I, I I actually so I was going to write down three notes of things I wanted to talk about, but I didn't. <laughs> Overstimulated, oh. couldn't even write them down. <laughs> but you probably know what they are. Um, I think we'll figure them out if we don't get to all three. It's better not to tease people with three and then not get to all three because then it's just sort of unsatisfying. You know, someone told me once that um, the key to living a good life is to have low expectations and then to surpass them. I think that's right. Instead of the other way around. I think that's right now. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, I guess. Yeah. Um, I don't know. You know, I, I, um, I'm... Well, I guess let's just start with that. I, I've I've been agitated for about a week, I think, uh, and uh, but I'm I'm particularly like today, I hadn't been really delving into the the whole GameStop thing, um, and uh, you know I'll try and I'll try and get this this uh, this episode up because who knows where this will be. Always a danger to talk about an event as it's actually happening, but but today, I mean, I saw that it's like a you know. Uh, head of was it nasdaq was on was on cnbc or one of these places saying that halt like trading needs to halt because uh you know the the irrational volatility of uh of this you know reddit inspired but really almost 4chan ish <laughs> burst of i don't know what um I don't know. It's, it's, uh, well, do you want to maybe? I feel like many of our listeners may not be aware of what you're referring to. Well, Can you give like a very short, um, version of it? Well, here, I mean, you're, 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 you're a real investor, so you can correct me what I've got wrong because I don't, I, I've also found, uh, I've been, I've been thinking to myself lately about my sort of, how how in everything I'm just sort of an outsider and an observer that I can, I can watch what's happening on Wall Street and, and feel, you know, really unperturbed because I, I'm, I'm not really invested in it. Um, it's, it's, uh, well, it's a really complicated story. So there's this, there's this company called GameStop, right? And, uh, I don't know. I, I, I've, I guess I've seen it in malls before. It, it's a, it sells video games, but I think it also, uh, buys used video games and then resells them. And it's, you know, it's sort of like used to be a staple in malls. Um, malls are, obviously going away and 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 you know that was clear even before covid but now with you know the entire world becoming socialized to buying everything um digitally uh you know the 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 prospects for gamestop were even bleaker and so i mean you know the 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 parts that that you know i i guess it's important to note this i mean there there was a um a guy who had made uh you know a bunch of money on on a website called chewy dot com i think and uh he's uh, i think made a lot of money on on internet stuff and he joined the board of uh of gamestop arguing that in fact gamestop is not so such so badly positioned if they can just sort of switch to digital and i guess there's been speculation whether people were too bearish on gamestop for a long time and and this guy i guess gave some impetus to uh to people who are more optimistic on it but this is such niche stuff i mean this is a small stock that, yeah that's not really making but like, much Jameer, money. let me but so yeah. let me let me here's how i understand it and well, this this is like a, oh, you, well i was just going to get to the to the juice part which is that 
at the same time, at the same time as this is all happening, I was just pointing out that there there was some reason for, you know, questions of why people might be investing. But then it seems like there was some sort of, uh, what is it called? Wall Street Tips? Is that the name of the, the Reddit, uh, the, 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 the group on Reddit? Doesn't matter. Yeah. Yeah. Whatever it is. I mean, but, and, and I, I, I've seen it described in some articles as they self described as like 4chan for Wall Street, basically. I mean, like with a, with a proper, you know, that kind of nihilistic 4chan mentality. Uh, and, but, you know, these are, these are actual people who, who are traders and day traders and, you know, perhaps some of them even work for, for, uh, for larger firms. Anyway, at some point in the last over the weekend and and uh early this week, uh they just sort of started running up the stock. Uh and uh I don't know, it's up 15 1500% since Friday, I think something like that. I don't know if that's or 1500% since its low point. It was up some some, you know, sizable amount from like $8 to, you know, 60 or something and now it's at I think it's at 300 and something as as we're recording this. Um, and it's, and, and the, the, the fascinating thing is, is that a, uh, a lot of these sorts of, um, uh, hedge funds had shorted the stock greatly. Uh, and then this sort of surge of sort of small time money from, uh, from Redditors basically piling onto this thing, driving the stock up, uh, made many of these, uh, these, these shorts that the hedge funds held completely disastrous. I think today, or was it yesterday? One of the big hedge funds has just uh, racked up a ten billion dollar loss. Some thirty percent of its entire value just wiped out uh, because of this bet that they had on 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 uh, on GameStop, which was just overturned by this this force of uh, uh, of Reddit and you know the rabble basically. And so um, it's what I was getting at is like watching this on TV. You're having all these institutional investors and Nasdaq and all these other people complaining that the, that the rabble is, is, is screwing things up because, you know, there's there, in fact, there's no reason why this stock should have uh 1500% uh, increase in evaluation. It's completely uh, not at all tied to, to fundamentals or whatever. So anyway, go ahead. It's quite, what yeah, I, I mean, yeah, so that's right. I mean, so you, it's quite literally about the wisdom of crowds. That yeah. If you have enough people who come together, with a specific goal, um, you can see how their wisdom is reflected in public life, or in this case, in the stock market. And um, it's generally hard to do this because, I mean, there's a lot of stock valuation. So if you just get a few of your friends together, you can't really run up the price of a stock. But if there's a really popular channel on a website, including, say, on Reddit, yeah then you're having literally tens of thousands of people reading this thread. And if they all act in concert, they can decide, they can effectively um, run up the price, as you said, in a very artificial way. And um, I actually thought about buying GameStop yesterday because I was seeing the hype and it seemed too high for me because it had already gone up um, like God knows how much, like crazy numbers. Um, but I thought, well, you know, uh, this is, you know, this is what people are saying and, you know, it's still early on in the process. So I was looking at it yesterday and it was hovering at around $85. <laughs> and I was like, well, you know, let me be like a wise investor and wait for it to go to down to 70. It didn't drop to 70. It dropped to 80. So, you know, close, yeah. but not close enough. And then now I'm looking at it and it's $330. <laughs> But um, so, I mean, it, it's uh, it's fascinating. And the reason why, like, I started paying attention to this because our mutual friend Park McDougald was saying 
Um, if you have some money on the side, you don't have kids and you don't have like a big mortgage that's sucking up all your cash, you should be investing in meme stocks. I think he was being ironic and somewhat trolly. I don't think he was really calling for people to like make this to make this their life or whatever, because obviously it's extremely risky to trade in this way. But he's just kind of like having fun with it. It's a really fun story. And uh, but I, I'm seeing a number of people who are like, hey, I put in a couple. I mean, they're not spending a lot of money, but just for the fun of it, they're buying like two or three shares of GameStop and a couple shares of AMC. AMC is another one because it's like a dying movie chain that a lot of you guys are probably familiar with. Like people don't watch movies anymore in theaters because theaters are closed and AMC is really struggling. So there's also this kind of like fun, fun in quotation marks, ironic aspect to this. They're looking at stocks that are very uncool and very lame. And they're essentially making these stocks um, the biggest things around today. But so, so what struck me though, and why I ended up tuning in, I mean, I've seen, you know, GameStop and like headlines and things like that. I'm like, that's just some weird stuff. I saw Reddit. I, I, I sort of got the, the outlines of what was happening, but what really struck me today and why I, 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 I'm so jazzed up by just sort of watching this right now. Well, it's because you get, you get these sort of institutional players like, no, this is not how things work. This is not put a stop to it. It's not right. It's, it's, they're not. angry at the masses. Well, they're, they're angry- like, who, who are these people? Like, who are these ordinary people? who are messing with our money. That's basically what these institutional elite investors are saying. It's similar to how Republican elites thought about Trump supporters in the run-up to the 2016 election, that there's an elite that is supposed to decide these things. It might be a bad elite, a corrupt elite, but it's still an elite nonetheless. No, precisely. And it's, 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 um, it just sort of, I don't know how to, how to, why, why I, I found it so sort of stimulating. Maybe we can sort of try unpacking this, but, but it's, it's the thing I think that, that sort of motivated us to, or at least like partly motivated, has motivated me throughout the, these, uh, these many, many months we've been, we've been doing this. And part of the theme that we're sort of, um, uh, sort of hitting at this is, I mean, there, you know, there's, there's certainly no, no wisdom to what's happening with with uh uh with GameStop right now but it's this it's this force of just sort of of just no you know it's this 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 force of pushing back on 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 whatever whatever kind of of consensus is it's, and it's 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 an eruption almost of it's an eruption of irrationality that flies in the face of so much that we really just generally take as as uh, as 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 the bedrock of how we're building our world. A sane, rational, well-ordered, uh, you know, positive sum, uh, uh, you know world of 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 goodness right i mean in many ways it's it's just like after trump this is just like another slap in the face of this kind of meliorist you know democratic liberalism i mean trump trump and trumpism and populism in general is basically uh just a a, a violent reaction against call it that sort of Rawlsian conceit of, you know, that that we are all rational creatures and rationality operates by people getting together and, you know, emerging with the truth emerging out of it. Right. And 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 uh, Trumpism is quite 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 the opposite of that and and in a way like this is an echo of that i I saw an article somewhere 
uh, I'll, I'll dig it up in my in my uh, in my bookmarks. Someone made that exact point already that basically the forces of Trumpism are in fact uh, identical to the forces behind GameStop. And what was interesting about the article, I read it very quickly, but he was making the 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 argument in that same sort of condescending and 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 disgusted way. And and that's the thing that that I'm finding sort of as I as I sort of gleefully like really with a lot of glee I'm watching this happen right now around GameStop it's it's the same sort of thing like I don't I I I'm I'm not a stock bro I'm I'm not on Reddit I don't I probably don't even like what these people are like it, it sounds it sounds hideous in in many ways um but but there's something just amazing about watching watching this kind of 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 rationalist consensus view this idea just get ripped apart before your very eyes and and you know the thing about watching this GameStop stuff I'm I'm looking at it and I'm like just like Trump this will not make a difference GameStop is not going to be worth 330 370 dollars because really you know even at I think the best case scenario uh there's nothing there's nothing that would signify that even if they they executed perfectly on all of this on being like a successful online uh, video game retailer, uh, that they are competitive with, you know, I don't know, Sony, which has its own, uh, uh, console and it sells video games through the console itself or Apple or Google with their own, you know, online stores. Not sure there's any reason to think that, that GameStop can do it. Um, and so, so the end result, kind of like with Trumpism is going to be that, well, that things will sort of go back to normal. But what will be left over is this like incredible unease. You know, about, about, uh, the sustainability of this kind of rationalist, well-functioning world that we've created ideologically in our own minds. And that's what makes this, I think, such a great story is, is that, I mean, this is a little bit different than Trumpism in the sense that Trumpism actually ended up being quite destructive in terms of lives and livelihoods. I mean, there are obviously the comparisons we've discussed. I mean, in this case, there might also be lives ruined. Like if someone holds on to GameStop and then it crashes by like 300%, they could also like devastate people. But I think why it's such a fun, uh, such an interesting and exciting story, even for people who don't follow stocks, is that it's ordinary people finding a way to kind of stick it to the man. And Mm. I think people have made comparisons to the 2008 financial crisis, which was a product of economic elites using very arcane economic tools to manipulate the market. And then we saw the blowback of that, at least in part. Um, And they can get away with it. There are no consequences for them. Um, And ordinary people now can apparently do the same and stick it to hedge fund investors who, as you mentioned, are losing tens of billions of dollars because of, you know, ordinary people online using a thread on Reddit to coordinate their behavior. So I think it's, it's a, it's sort of like a David versus Goliath, um, story that, that's who the, yeah, David and Goliath. Yeah. Yeah. You know about them? I, I, yeah. I think, I think it's, it's in a big book. <laughs> it's in the Bible. Yeah. I think. Yeah. That big book on my shelf. Yeah. 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 The big Bible. That's what it's called. <laughs> <laughs> but maybe that tells us something. These themes have been with us from time immemorial. These are these are the themes that we as humans love. The idea of the um, 
even like we watch TV shows about this all the time. I mean, I've been watching a show called Cobra Kai, which is partly about nerds who uh, play karate. Is that what you say? Play, play karate? Or no, no. <laughs> fight karate. Fight, fight. Play fight. Yeah, go <laughs> on. Yes. The like nerds who like are being picked on at school and they can't really get the attractive girl and girls don't even pay attention to them. But then they start to learn how to fight karate and then they can kind of like, you know, rise to the top. I mean, we love these kinds of stories, especially as Americans, where there is this idea that the weakest can become the strong or wait, maybe that's Christianity. Uh- <laughs> <laughs> well, you know, I, the, the, the thing that I've been thinking of, um, I actually just texted her right before we started recording. Uh, it's it's uh, our friend Karina Orlova. She wrote like, I think, a really good piece back at the American Interest. Uh, I don't know. It's probably like. When, when was the movie The Joker out? And she was just comparing basically a lot of the, the at, at the time, there were all these headless protests that were happening around the world. And she did a, a clever job, I think, a, a good job of making the case that, that, you know, even that the Trumpist movement itself, you know, everyone focuses on Trump. But if you remember the movie The Joker, right? I mean, yeah. it's this, is this damaged person who is leading this thing but but he's not really he's just sort of there's a there's a there's a mob destroying the city and he's sort of wandering about it and you know they've all put on clown costumes and because he's become totemic but he's not really in charge of anything and he's not really leading you know you said like a group of people coordinating their actions through uh through an online uh, uh forum i mean yeah except it's even in the structure of that sentence, it, that assumes that there's like a group that is coordinating. There's like a subject and an object, but it's really, it's like this phenomenon is, is gelling together because of the medium of this sort of thing. And yeah, there's a kind of coalescing of resentments and anger and, uh, almost like nihilistic glee to all of this, you know, just sort of, yeah, let's destroy these hedgies and these short sellers and, you know, show it to them. But, you know, it's just, it's just fun. It's, it's, it seems like fun to, it seems from what I'm uh, reading from people who, who are reading the thread, it just sounds like, sounds like a, like a riot in there. And it's, 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 it's that, that what's interesting in the sense that we're, we're getting like a real modern sense of this completely, uh, well, yeah, disintermediated force, you know? I mean, like the internet's been constantly removing gatekeepers and, and just anything that, 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 uh, uh, basically gets in between the, the mass of some sort and then, and then reality, right? And, and so, so this is, this is, there, there doesn't seem to be any sort of, of, of ringleader or anything to this, you know? I mean, there, there are more or less prominent people in that mass of, of instigators on there, but, it's completely, uh, I don't know, not rooted. Yeah, in some ways, it's sort of like the Twitterization of the stock market because, I mean, th- uh, several decades ago, you wouldn't have enough people having access to online investing in real time. So they, like an ordinary person would actually have trouble going online. And especially when there wasn't an online, you'd have to call up a broker and execute these trades in a somewhat, um, you know, complex way. You'd have to like put in time and be very, be very conscious about it. Now you just sign on to your account, um, with any of these online traders and anyone, even with a very small amount of money can trade these stocks. And there is no, as you said, intermediary. And this, so this is the, this, we see this being replicated in every facet of life. Um, we, people don't need to 
um, be columnists at a, at a newspaper for their ideas to get a large audience. They can start a Substack, or yeah. even people who aren't prominent. Sometimes they can go viral on Twitter, and it'll just be an ordinary person. Um, so I think that um, th- this sets, but there's it's also I think this point that there are a lot of people who are nihilistic. That's the word that you used, Demir. Yeah. They, they're not necessarily bad, but they want to, they don't care about the system. They don't care about norms. They want to burn things down because they've had an accumulation of resentments over years or perhaps decades. And rightfully so. It's understandable that people would be angry, either for economic reasons or political reasons. And it's a natural, I think, instinct to want to take matters into your own hands. If you look at elites and you say to your, and you think to yourself, who are these people and why should I defer to them? And that's why I think what you've been writing about and I think what you want to write about more, as far as I can tell, is that, you know, Trump, if Trump is a symptom and not a cause, he's a symptom of a broader malaise in our society where people don't really have a stake in the system something some, there's something dark and people want to express that darkness and just because trump went away doesn't mean they're going to stop i yes I, I i definitely i mean i i feel like that it just keeps coming up when whenever i sort of sit down to to scribble something out for uh for wisdom of crowds or just in general when i'm talking but you know let me just then push us into the other thing this would have been one of the three other the other the second of maybe three bullet points which is this um the really interesting thing about the rise of Biden um, and, you know, all of the pageantry of him uh, being, uh, you know, his his inauguration and the sigh of relief, there wasn't any violence. And OK, the 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 end result has been this kind of idea that now we can cast out this demon Trump and it's all going to be fine. The the weird side thing uh, that comes out of this and it's your most recent essay at American Purpose, I think, uh, usefully uh outlines the 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 shape of the problem is that um well you talk about liberalism and and tolerance and how how this sort of works sort of a, you know a, a classical form of 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 uh of liberalism we'll put a link to this and you can talk about it some more yeah. and and you know a liberalism of of i guess would you say is fair to say like a liberalism of difference and a uh uh and a, a liberalism of some sort of conformity is one way to maybe put yeah. it right and so the the interesting thing to me um is that 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 with trump gone there's this inordinate focus on on exercising the person of trump which again i think pragmatically is not a bad idea at all uh because the man himself actually can do a lot of damage but but now it's shifted to this other thing which is um which is that you know, the source of these ideas has to be expunged. And this is what was interesting, again, why I became so agitated and, and, and enthused watching the GameStop story today was watching these, these establishment people come out on TV and be like, stop the madness. These people have to be stopped. We can't let this happen. I think I tweeted something. I was like, I, I'm, it's, it's first democracy uh, needed to be saved from the rabble. And now capitalism itself needs to be saved from the rabble, you know? And, and, and that's the, the moment that I, I, I think, that I'm really most sort of transfixed with right now. The, the, so I don't know. I mean, talk a little bit about your essay and about, about this question of tolerism, uh, to, uh, toleration and, 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 and liberalism. But it's, it's, I'm, I'm struck by the moment right now being this, this desire to like, now that 
irrational irrationality was supposedly defeated in the democratic sphere we must now do everything to protect democracy from irrationality again yeah well i so i think that um the, the first thing is that people people and by i maybe not people okay elites or people who are intelligent or well educated don't really like people all that much. Mm. And that's a problem because democracy depends on and relies on the idea of the people, that you have some way of aggregating or articulating mass preferences. And this was always fine historically when you had enough gatekeepers who could mediate the masses and make sure the masses didn't go overboard. But now I think crisis the crisis in democracies all across the world, and we see it in such a diversity of countries, whether it's India, Philippines, Hungary, Poland, the US, Brazil, is that without mediation, uh, elites end up developing a disdain for democracy, for the democratic idea, if by democracy we mean um, the rule of majorities. Obviously, there's always limits on what majorities can do, but majorities are generally more powerful than minorities in democratic countries. And, um, and that's sort of where we're at now. What happens when the masses are out of control? And I think the real su subtext, or actually just the text of the explicit text of the past four years has been what to do like this question of what to do about the un the unfurling of mass sentiment and how to regulate it and how to keep it under control and i think that the dilemma is that there is no way to keep it fully under control you can push back and you can try but that at the end of the day especially in large unwieldy countries like ours there's just too many people and there's too many angry people. And, you know, we're 330 million people in the U.S. Even if the majority are not angry, you just need, and we've sort of talked about this in previous episodes, in the case of the storming of the Capitol, you had really just hundreds of people who marched onto the Capitol and then, you know, a smaller, you know, smaller subset that actually got in. And that was enough to really um, cast doubt over the entire democratic process. And that's why it was such a shock that such a small number of people can have such an outsized effect on our self-perception as a nation, as Americans, so on and so forth. Uh, uh, Demir, you mentioned my piece, and yeah. I'll try to tie that to this, but... Um, and, you know, we'll include a, a link to the piece. And obviously I'm biased because I wrote it, but I would highly recommend that you guys give it a read. Yes. So it's called The Tolerance Dilemma. And I draw on the philosopher John Gray's work. And John Gray wrote an excellent book that um, we actually read together, Demir, for a symposium that we were part of a couple months ago. But it's called... Um, his book is called The Two Faces of Liberalism. And he, I think, captures this really well, that liberalism contains an inherent contradiction. And that's why when we talk about liberalism, we always have to specify what kind of liberalism we're actually talking about. So for some uh, early Enlightenment thinkers, toleration was a means to peace. It was about coming to terms with the fact that people are in conflict with each other, there's violence, and toleration was a way to say, let's stop fighting, 
Um, we're not going to agree on certain things, but there has to be some level of tolerance. So that way we don't sort of resort to arms when we disagree, right? Yeah. Then there's the other approach to, to-, uh, to toleration, which is more ambitious and which is more ideological. And this would be associated more with someone like John, John Locke, where tolerance is a means to the end of truth or reason or rationality. The idea here being that if you create a, you, you want to have tolerance because tolerance promotes a free marketplace of ideas. And then what does a free marketplace of ideas do? It allows people to debate and to discuss in this deliberative manner. And you, and the idea, and it's kind of a fantasy because it doesn't actually turn out this way. There's this idealization of the marketplace of ideas that if you have people in good faith talking to each other, the best ideas will rise to the fore and then society will produce truth and societies will produce reason and rationality. And that's what tolerance is supposed to serve. It's supposed to serve this endpoint, right? Yep. And I think what we found out is that if you create this free marketplace of ideas, or in this case, the free marketplace of stocks or the free marketplace really of anything, it's not always the best people or the best ideas that rise to the f- that rise to the fore. Sometimes unreason or irrationality get the better of us. And I think that's where you really, you really get to this dilemma and to this contradiction that liberal toleration doesn't necessarily lead us to the promised land. And this was the ambition in the 17th century and the 18th century in this early period of thinking. There was this belief that truth was something that we could strive for, that we could establish. And once we establish truth, then we could move towards this more utopian society. Maybe not utopian in the socialist sense. There would still be some basic level of freedom and disagreement, but there wouldn't be too much disagreement because if you have, if you have more education and more good and people are good and they're well meaning and they're talking to each other, then they're going to have an interest to come to an agreement about the good life, about what is right and what is true. And as we have found out in modern societies, they have not been able to come to those conclusions. The modern story, I think, is that people are moving away from a common conception of truth. They don't agree on what's right. They don't agree on what constitutes the good life. And this is really counter to what's many early Enlightenment thinkers would have expected. I think if they were here today, they would have found much of this shocking. Yeah. Um, I Again, I, I'll second what you said. I, your, the essay is, is very, very much worth reading, and I hope our, I hope our listeners do, do click on through and give it a read. Um, the interesting thing, I, this is just a, a half-remembered side comment. You may know better since you've been marinating in this a little bit more, but if, if I'm not mistaken – uh, Locke's toleration and his treatise on tolerance was also directed ultimately at Catholics, right? Um, yes, and 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 atheists and too. atheists, but it was Catholics was the the really striking part, and the the striking part being that that the truth of religion would also come out of rationality, which is something we've lost, if I'm not mistaken. That in fact, like the 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 one the one true faith would even arise out of you know this kind of uh, interplay of ideas. I believe that was that was a part of of his sort of core conception. So that's an element of that sort of early liberalism that's 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 completely lost to us because. 
you know, in the intervening years, the idea, the very idea that that, you know, religion and rationality go together in any way, shape or form is is has been rendered in the popular consciousness as an, as an absurdity, of course. Right. Yeah. Um, so I, I think that's a that's a, a funny little aside that doesn't really take us anywhere. But no, but I mean, it's worth noting Locke did did view Catholics as being irrational. Yes. That um, in part because they had dual loyalties, that they had to listen to the Pope, and therefore they couldn't develop their own capacities and faculties of reason and individual deliberation. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. So he felt that um, Catholics undermined in a very basic way the idea of the marketplace of ideas because they couldn't develop their own ideas and they couldn't follow the truth because of the figure of the pope and the institutional domination of the church it's 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 important to sort of dwell on that though i think because it it gets us at some of this stuff about free speech which predates all of this uh gamestop stuff and was agitating me last week um you know uh I, god I, forget, I remember the guy's name he's that lefty i don't know if he worked for aoc uh but he's just sort of a, a Twitter personality. Oh, now. is he the one who has like the handle on Twitter that says every billionaire is a policy failure? Mm, maybe that's him. I don't know. I didn't notice. <laughs> okay. Anyway, whoever it was tweeted something was, you know, went on this Twitter thread that was then uh, shared broadly about, you know, how how need to regulate Fox News out of existence. And it's it's one of those things that 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 to me, I've always made the case uh sort of the impish case to people when they when they come at me about disinformation and and you know untruth and the rest of this. I've always said especially in the American context, if Fox News didn't exist right now, I'd turn around and invent it and and retire rich, you know? Because because obviously there's a demand for it. It's 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 completely backwards to say that that there's a, you know, a supply and demand sort of thing. And that that now, you know, you're you're getting this kind of sense of defending democracy from the rabble. And this is why I've, I've never really liked this idea of misinformation, you know, or disinformation. I, I, I wrote an essay a while ago, also at the American Interest, talking about basically, you know, how uh, the problem of foreign influence and disinformation is like fundamentally incoherent at its core. And you have to sort of unpack it. And I try and do that, not with any great success of like where it ends up. But it's really stuck with me that this idea of the truth and that the truth uh, leads to uh, a kind of, you know, a salvation of society and that, that we must be protected from untruth. That's, that's one form of, um, of uh, viewing this sort of liberal project. Um, that, that I, I think for all of the debt we may owe Locke in, in, in the United States, because America, as you say, was, uh, it's always been unwieldy, you know, and has been sort of uncontrollable. Um, it it never really took off here and it's 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 been instructive to read these these ideas coming out now about we should return to this or that you know limit speech this way or that way and see the echoes of basically how europeans have approached democracy after after nazism and and the horrors of world war 2 is that you know we can't trust democracy and we can't trust liberal democracy to you know, basically self-sustained. It must be protected. It's a, it's a delicate hothouse flower. And, and that's always been not the American way. And yeah. it's interesting to watch it now become at least uh, a, a dominant discourse among, among elites here, yeah, at least among the, you know, the, the, in the waters we swim. 
And this is where I think, you know, uh, Bruno, who, for those of you who missed it, would, would uh, highly recommend last week's episode with Bruno uh, Machaish, um, the Portu- former Portuguese politician and now uh, author, who's really been great on this. And I think that I've had some skepticism and maybe reservations about aspects of Bruno's argument. But I think the more, the more I think about it, I, I think there's something extremely useful about his frame of analysis that once you sort of take that into your toolbox as an observer of politics, it helps you out a lot and it helps you identify things you wouldn't otherwise, you know, identify. And I think that um, disinformation brings us closer to some of this because disinformation and either, either that disinformation as a problem to be solved or the attempt to eradicate disinformation. All of this is operating in a kind of fantasy land um, that is somewhat divorced from reality. Because first of all, um, it assumes that if you eradicate the supply of disinformation, then there won't still be a demand for it. And it also assumes that there can be someone or some institution that arbitrates what is false and what is true. And that to me has always been a very frightening idea. And that's why I've never been comfortable with the idea of disinformation and fighting it. Because to fight disinformation inevitably, you have to centralize power. And that's not just on the political level. You also would have to centralize power in tech companies because, you know, if you're, if that's where a lot of this unregulated discussion is happening and you're worried about the spread of misinformation, tech companies are going to have to clamp down. So all of, you know, all of that makes me nervous because it gets into this realm of fighting a kind of war that is operating in a parallel universe. It's real, but it's also not completely real because a lot of it is happening in people's minds where they where they think it's about like someone who's basically waking up in the morning and he or she thinks to them, uh, her son, he or she. <laughs> yeah. yeah, I don't know. You pick a pronoun, my friend. <laughs> See, yeah, hey. <laughs> He or she are uh, wanting himself or she (laughs) herself to um, basically um, they see themselves as as fighting these forces of darkness that are very hard to define. And it's just a weird way of looking at the world to say that I who and it's also very presumptuous that someone would actually think that they have a monopoly on the truth or that they can even decide who are these bad purveyors in our country. Presumably 74 million Americans have voted for Trump. They are the ones who are under the sway of untruth. And then we're the ones who have to come and tell them, hey, guys, hey, Trump supporter, let's sit down with you and let's try to explain to you very carefully why you are wrong and why your analysis of the world is just completely unfounded. And it's, you know, it's also a twist on the Marxist idea of false consciousness. And it's worth noting that Marxism is itself a product of the Enlightenment. Um, It's all about reason and rationality. It is about finding objective material truths that can organize humankind and society. Mm. And that's why I think 
once you become obsessed with rationality and reason, it can actually take you closer towards totalitarianism. Because if you have found the truth and you've been able to sort of um, isolate the scientific truths about how how the market works, how economic production works, how society works, then there's no need for dissent. There's no need for opposition. You have reached the promised land. And that's why whenever I hear about um, disinformation, I think a little bit about false consciousness, which is originally a Marxist, a, a Marxist idea, this, this notion that the the proletariat or the members of the working class they are voting against their own interests by supporting capitalist parties because they don't know better they're under false consciousness and then it's it's the job of the good communist or the good marxist to sit the working class person down and tell him or her you don't realize what your own interests are. And all of these discussions that we're having now are about basically elites sitting people down and saying, you don't know what's right for your own good. Yeah. And get with the program and we'll help you. And it's also, it's, there's something very patronizing about it. There's a very strong educational component. And that's why you hear a lot of discussion about, um, education and providing the right information because it's the it's the um enlightened elites who help the unenlightened masses the rabble as you might call them help them find the light so here's a here's a question for you um i mean i, I feel like i i know the answer but i i but but hearing you explain it i think would be helpful to me and just interesting um yet despite everything you just said uh you what, uh, I mean, would you <laughs> identify yourself as a progressive? And if so, um, is your version of – would you allow that your vision of what progress is is very different from what almost everyone who might identify as your ally would believe uh, in the sense that I would guess that your definition of progress is something very provisional and uh, – saying you you would you would confidently say that progress is what i think progress is and therefore that's what makes me a progressive because i'm for changing things but i have no ultimate truth claim to any of it is that is that right i mean how how would you how would you oh, how would you do that it's an interesting question and i wonder what i mean do you think i'm a progressive <laughs> i mean i've always had my doubts uh, <laughs> okay i'll hear this is a let me give it a shot. Yeah. I do self-identify if pushed as a progressive. I mean, people don't ask me the question all that much anymore because <laughs> they're like, he's, we lost him. We lost he's him done. a while ago. Yeah. Forget about it. I, I have my views about how society can, can progress. I think progress is possible. I just, I think, first of all, I define progress in a different way than a lot of people. But secondly, I don't think there's anything absolute about my conception of progress, which you sort of alluded to, yeah. that I'm very skeptical of absolute truth claims. Now, I do believe in absolute truth in a kind of ultimate sense. So I'm not a moral relativist. I am accused of being a moral relativist. But for example, I do believe that God exists, and I believe there is a kind of... Um, 
there is a kind of order that derives from God. Um, maybe order is not the right word. I don't mean to suggest that in a kind of integralist sense, but I, I do think there is a kind of logic to the universe and that, that ultimately derives from a higher power. Um, I do believe that some things are true. So I'm, you know, I'm a believer, so I'm Muslim. So I believe there are, you know, various things that are true about Islam from a creedal standpoint, so on and so forth. So, um, so I'm not someone who says that all religions are equally valid. I think, um, you know, so for example, um, do I think that, I hope this doesn't get me into trouble. Do I think that, uh, Buddhism is equally valid to Islam? No. Mm. Does that mean I think Buddhism is bad? No. Mm. Um, but I'm not going to pretend that they are equivalent from my standpoint. Now, it's also odd that I would even like be worried that, that would be controversial. I assume in some progressive circles, being explicit about that might be controversial. That, you know, I have judgments about what is more right or less right on a kind of relative spectrum, right? But I, I just don't think those questions really have to be resolved in this world. And I don't think it's the job of democracy to come to some final answer or conclusion or consensus about how society should be ordered. That's what I'm skeptical about. Um, and that's why, so for example, I mean, um, I do think that government should have a pretty significant role in the economy. And that's what, I mean, I'm not a socialist um, by any means, but I'm sympathetic to how someone like Bernie Sanders viewed the economy mm -hmm. and using government power in an interventionist way to address inequality. I think that's important because I see inequality as being this, you know, one of the sources of our modern ills. That said, I also don't have a problem if the Bernie party, or in this case, the Democratic party, <laughs> if Bernie had won, um, if they had lost after four years or after eight years, I would say, hey, uh, the Bernie-led Democratic party is not an absolute truth. It's something that is subject to the ebbs and flows of the democratic process. So if after eight years... Republicans win, then it's completely legitimate for them to try to undo what Bernie did. And that's how democracy works. Different parties come into power and they try to undo what the other did. Of course, they have to do so through peaceful, legal, democratic means. So they can't just like, you know, make America into a dictatorship and then say, hey, we're uh, everything Bernie did. Now we're taking over and we're going to go outside the law and I don't even know how that would really work in the U.S. context. But anyway, the point is, I don't think that abs any absolute endpoints or final victories are are possible in this world. And I think I've come to terms with that. I've come to terms with the contingency of human life in a way that I, I hadn't really been fully cognizant of before. So if you, if you had talked to me 10 years ago, I wouldn't say what I'm saying now. So, all right, that all makes sense. Um, but feel free to push back. There's no, probably some, no, you know, no, tensions I, I mean, there. I, I mean, there was some, some, some little. Uh, I thought it was interesting that you said that that uh, you know uh, uh, that that an enforced 
relativism, religious relativism would be the norm among people who otherwise feel like they do have access to the truth, that in fact, a certain kind of religious relativism is the truth, because in fact, these people don't believe in anything, your, your, your allies. But that's, I thought that's a, that's a fun little aside there. Um, that's not an inconsistency in you. It's an inconsistency in the, I think, in, in, in the, the idea in them. Um, but so let me ask you this one then. Um, and maybe this is a, a, a way to tie a bow around the, the whole conversation. Um, what's endlessly entertaining about, uh, about GameStop is that, uh, while I, I'm, my heart goes out to the, you know, billionaire hedge fund that, that finds himself now, you know, uh, 80% poorer. Um, and I'm sure it's hard and I'm sure he's having a really rough week. Um, <laughs> Demir, are you, wait, are you trolling now? I am. I am trolling right now. Um, uh, what I'm getting at is that, that, that though my heart goes out to him, uh, the, the, the costs of, of, of this episode, uh, like I said, it's not going to change anything. Like, uh, GameStop's not going to become like a, blue chip stock and 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 at some point it's going to ebb away and and as i was saying i what's it'll leave this sort of lingering sense of disquiet which i find actually pretty bracing which is what i like about like i said it's sort of the motivating thing about wisdom of crowds and actually the whole trump moment however you you gestured at this earlier when i said this too is that like trump himself was was actually did leave a trace a bigger trace uh, arguably i think he changed a lot less than than i think when we look back on it you know it and we we have talked about it. it's it's been performative in so many ways uh lots of lots of 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 shirt rending and you know high theater but Ultimately, when push comes to shove, um, uh, yeah, the, the, the monster gets out and storms the Capitol January 6th. And for all the reasons, you know, I mean, I think it's a, it's a, it's a, an important and, and that will leave a trace, I think, in our, our sort of body politic. But overall, Trumpism, you know, there, there's something to that from where I'm sitting, that sort of parallel to this GameStop thing. In the end, it, the, the main, the main damage is in to our faith of like a properly rationally or, ordered world. But then let me push you on that because, you know, I don't think there's any remedy, at least, you know, all the remedies being uh, put out in in panic right now uh, to the GameStop thing. Like, oh, we need to ban this kind of trading and what it's nonsense. It's, it's just it's just panic nonsense. Um, however, uh, maybe maybe you would say that there is something that we do need to do and take into account that like Trumpism went too far and, and actually did leave lasting damage. So. Should we be doing something? Is there something to the the people that say that we ought to be doing something about information, about uh, you know, platforming, about uh, I don't know how do, how does one how does one secure democracy from this irrationality? I mean, or is that just like a dumb way to look at it? I think it's a dumb way to look at it, but no, I don't but know. look. What I don't do think, think it's I don't think it's an issue of pro um pro-regulation versus anti-regulation when it comes to these bad ideas or these perceived threats. All of us believe, I think, that there are red lines. What we disagree on is where to draw them. Yeah. So I believe in red lines. I just want to draw them um, as minimally as possible. Maybe minimally isn't the right word. But so I think that I've brought this up on the podcast before. So we have 330 million Americans. That's 100% of the population. I want to ensure that, that the people in our country who are, who stay within the fold 
are as close to 100% as possible. Now, there's always going to be a couple percent that are beyond the pale that actually cross the red lines, even if they're somewhat minimally defined. And for me, those would be, so for example, someone who supports slavery, obviously a very small number of people, presumably, at least who would say that explicitly, um, those are not people that I think should be platformed or have a voice and we can, you know, regulate that kind of content. Uh, people who uh, support the use of violence explicitly. Now we can debate what that really means. And that is a debate that folks have over Twitter because the legal, from a First Amendment standpoint, um, there has to be an imminent threat, which is actually um, a very high bar. So it's actually, it's very difficult generally to restrict the speech of say Nazi groups because they might call for violence in a general, in a broad way, but if they're not actually specifically targeting individuals, ex uh, you know, explicitly, it's hard to actually um, legally charge them for anything, which is why they've been able to march and protest. And then the ACLU, at least in the past, would defend their right to march in certain cities and towns and so on. But I think, unfortunately, we're at a moment where my very minimalist approach um, – However minimal it is, it's still it's it's going to have to bring in. There's more bad people now. So, uh, like six months ago, I would have said, "Oh, well, one to two percent of avowed white supremacists and whatever it might be, those are the people beyond the pale." Unfortunately, today we might have to extend that. And uh, and I'm I'm torn about this because people who are not willing to respect democratic outcomes apparently. There are quite a few more of them in this country than one might have expected. Now, ordinary Americans are different. I don't think that, you know, uh, if you ask an ordinary Trump supporter, uh, should we respect democratic outcomes, you'll probably get some interesting responses. First of all, you'll probably get them to say that they, th they think the election was rigged and that Trump actually won. But I don't think that's necessarily disqualifying. Like, I don't think that person should be shunned from American life and that they should be like, I don't know, fired from their job and like pushed out of their local church or whatever, because, you know, people have weird ideas and it's always a question of to what extent do those bad, dangerous, weird ideas actually get reflected in policy. And this is where I think there's an interesting conversation about some of the folks in the House of Representatives on the Republican side who don't seem to be small D Democrats. And I think we're gonna have to work that out as a society is that where do we actually want to draw this line? And I, but my general instinct is to draw as few lines as possible and to be very careful about precedent setting. So in the case of Trump being banned on Twitter, I see that as a kind of exceptional situation and that we had to do what we had to do. Wait, we had to do what we, yeah, yeah, that's right. We did what we had to do. Yeah. 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 <laughs> yeah. We did what we had to do. And, uh, but I wouldn't want that to be a new norm that we start thinking that anytime we have speech like the kind of speech that Trump would engage in, that our initial, that our immediate thought is to say, let's ban them from Twitter or other platforms. We had to do that in this case because it was a clear and present threat 
to American democracy. People might debate that, but I think it, there was a reasonable case to be made at that particular moment that quite a lot was at stake and that this was the right move, but it should not be, it, it no one should be happy that it got to that point. No one should have been celebrating the fact that Trump was banned from Twitter. So, you know, I mean, this is, I guess, maybe also gets us to uh, the last week's notes thing that I wrote against democratic minimalism, or at least like a concern that it's not enough. Um, because, you know, I, I guess hearing you talk here uh, takes me back to what was driving me to write what I wrote, which is that... Um, that I don't think this is a case of accepting or rejecting democratic norms, or in any case, that's not how anyone thinks about it. I mean, you gestured at it yourself just now in the idea that, that uh, you know, at least the, the controlling narrative among um, the people supportive of this idea that Trump's election was stolen, um, they, they, they would absolutely argue that they are for democracy, that they're defending democracy. So what's gone, what's missing, and I think I, I didn't manage to capture that in the notes, and maybe this is uh productive to that, is that like it's that it's that it's that sense of trust and 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 sense of shared destiny, a shared a shared unified destiny, which which just putting putting disparate groups together into a democratically minimalist sort of system and saying play by the rules and you have to just internalize that um you know, you'll get your turn eventually, or at least have input in it, and uh, your minimal minima, minimal rights against like complete domination and repression are guaranteed. That's that's an academic way of looking at it because what the 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 element that's missing there is trust, and trust comes from this sort of ineffable group identity, which is I trust you rather than someone else, and I keep you within my you know, my tribe, my family, my friend group, my tribe, my people. And I trust you more than a foreigner, an outsider. And it's 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 that kind of tribalism, call it a base kind of tribalism, without which I don't think you can have democratic minimalism. Because I think you can you can where democratic minimalism makes sense if you embed it in this concept of a whole and say, well, you know, that whole doesn't have to be as cohesive as a tribe or as a family or as someone that you know. So you can you can extend that level of sympathy and trust more broadly if it's guaranteed by a certain set of democratically minimalist rules. But democratic minimalism in and of itself and just say, well, you know, uh, we'll take two groups of people that that view each other with utmost suspicion and just say, hey, guys, hey, guys, there's these rules. Just just learn them and it'll work. I, I think it's not enough. And I think that's what we're we're facing here. And so that's why it's like, you know, when we talk about, I mean, again, I, I think as a, as a frame for t talking about things, for talking about difference, for talking about how democracies work, it's 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 sufficient and interesting and enlightening to talk about democratic minimalism but if you if you're leaving out that that tribal element of it and the fact is that like any polity can only exist if you have like an insider group against an outsider group and an outsider threat and if you if you expunge that from your analytical frame you're missing something really important and i think that's what we're 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 getting at right now is that that the 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 threads that bind the polity together have have uh have frayed badly perhaps maybe yeah, not they, irreparably but badly and that's that's i guess what i'm getting at yeah and i think you know you've better than better than most um or at least i don't know like 
I don't know if a lot of people have tried, but um, you've been able to poke a hole or two in my theory of democratic minimalism. And I, it's something that I have to ponder a little bit more. I think I have to have a better answer for some of these. I mean, even if, even if they're not like outright objections, they are weaknesses in, in, in how I articulate this democratic society. Um, and I think I'm almost tempted to say that, um, to the extent that, there are problems in, with my argument. I'm not sure that there are solutions. Just as I would say, just as there are problems in life and in politics more broadly, not all problems have solutions. Mm-hmm. So, you know, at, at some level, uh, we may have to accept our fate mm-hmm. that, and this is why, uh, this is why I think sometimes the best you can do is muddle through. Cause if you can't find a solution, and if you can't recreate trust after it's been dissolved or or destroyed, then you got to live with what you have. And I just I don't really see a future scenario where trust is you know trust is rebuilt in the U.S. to the extent necessary. And I think part of the blame, I mean, certainly we can talk all we want about how Republicans and Trump supporters are to blame, but I think there is something quite frightening for tens of millions of Republicans and Trump supporting Americans when they think about a country that appears to be so dominated by the center left and maybe even the left in in some in some areas um dominated in cultural and relig- cultural and political terms i mean cultural hegemony is clear i think um you know arts film music so on and so forth it's not easy to turn on your tv or to turn on netflix and find anything that gives um a sympathetic depiction of let's say christian conservative life for example um it exists hard to find so you know and then obviously now the democrats control the house and the senate and the presidency I think that it's that intertwining and that combination of cultural and, and political authority that can sometimes create very disproportionate and irrational, if we want to go back to that, irrational responses. Yeah, yeah. So, um, you know, I think that just, that's just where, where we are right now. We are sort of getting, um, since we are getting close to our, um, our sort of like arbitrary time <laughs> that we <laughs> yeah. have to stop. Yeah. I, I, I do want to, um, I'll maybe do this again at the start. We forgot to do like my little marketing pitch at the start, you know, but for those of you who got to the end of this, as always, for you, uh, devoted listeners who want to listen to every single minute. So if it's 67 minutes, you want to get to the 67th minute. For those of you who are committed, I would just encourage you, as I often do, to consider becoming a member and a subscriber. Um, those are interchangeable in this case by, um, you know, paying a few bucks a month. Uh, as you will know, we, we've been ramping up content, more content that is, that is paid. Um, and we think it's very good content, a little bit distinctive, unusual. That's what you come to us for. Um, we will maybe also properly announce him at the start of the next episode. We did finally bring on an assistant editor. His name is Matt Winesett. Um, and you'll probably see him in some ways online on the website doing his thing. So it's a team of three now. So we're excited about that. But if you want to support this kind of expansion of the wisdom of crowds vision, um, go to wisdomofcrowds.live slash subscribe. 
and then subscribe. And I think we're about to do a bonus episode right now after we get off. So, you know, uh, if you want to listen to that, uh, it's, that's for subscribers. And I don't know exactly what we'll talk about, but probably something fun and quite personal <laughs> because we'll be speaking to a smaller audience so we can be more unfiltered. Yeah, yeah that's right. More, more racy. <laughs> more racy. <laughs> All right, okay, Demir. Yeah. Talk to you later. Talk soon. Bye. Bye.